So we left off with Elijah, L-E-L-I-J-A-H, giving the mantle of authority and really the position of the prophet in Israel over to Elisha. And prophets were giving for um, the building up of God's people. I'm in the middle of memorizing Ephesians 4. Oh, man, all I can tell you, go memorize that chapter. It is so encouraging. Ay, ay, ay. And it says in the New Testament, in Ephesians 4, it says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. And so uh, God still speaks today prophetically to his people. And I pray he does that uh, this evening. It's a a thing that um, really happens mostly on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, more of a prophetic ministry. When, uh, Tuesday night, more of a teaching ministry. But they're both there in both services. So Elisha now has the mantle of authority. Um, he actually got it from Elijah. And so as soon as Elijah is taken up into heaven... It says in verse 19, it says, Then the men of the city, the city being Jericho, said to Elisha, Please notice, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall no more be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So no sooner had he received this mantle he, and, and, and of authority, but he also got the double portion of the Holy Spirit, that most audacious prayer, prayer request that Elisha made of Elijah. I want a double spirit of what, um, of what you have. Uh, he, 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 he gives this miracle. You know, we're going to be going through a bunch of miracles of of Elisha, and uh, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Elisha has 16 miracles to Elijah's eight. Um, he was given a double portion of his uh, uh, of the spirit, and so that's kind of symbolic um, of that. And uh, but the theme that I want to talk about tonight with each of these miracles, um, there is something that needs to be done by the recipient of the miracle. And so oftentimes when God is moving in our life, he says, you do this and I'll do that. And that can be 
a really difficult thing because sometimes doing this, we're like, wait a second, if I do this and nothing happens, I'm going to look like a fool. It takes faith to do that. We're going to be talking um, more about that, but um, notice how they had to bring them a new bowl and they had to put salt in it. They actually had to do something. Now, there's there's going to be sort of a progression where they're going to have to do more and more and more, and 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 Elijah, Elisha building up their faith. Um, but um, there you have it, Elisha's first uh, real miracle. Um, I, although he did he, he did part the the Jordan as well. That's no small miracle itself. But a, after Elijah was taken up into heaven. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths came up from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Any bald men in here? Uh, not really. So he, uh, oh, is Ricardo in here? Oh, no, he's hiding? No, no, but there are mats also here, right? We have two bald, bald but they're not in the room. Uh, and, and verse 24, so he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the, in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the ewes. Wow. And so people look like this. This is one of those um, stories that's um, listed as, you know, hard Bible stories and commentators and apologists try to, for lack of, I, I, I say kind of like a pun, apologize for it. But to me, this, the, the message here is simple. Notice where, the, notice where this takes place. It's in Bethel. What happened in Bethel? Well, uh, a few kings before the king of this day, Jeroboam had set up a golden calf and said, and basically said the same thing that Aaron said when Aaron set up a golden calf in the desert, uh, in the wilderness. He said, this is the God who took you out of Egypt. More or less, he didn't use those exact words as Aaron did, but more or less he did the same thing. This is Jehovah, worship him. And that was uh, Bethel in the south. And then he put another one in Dan in the north. And it was completely acting out of fear. What's the opposite of fear? Faith is. He feared people going down to Jerusalem, which by this time there had been a divide. There's a split kingdom now. In the south, it's Benjamin and, and Judah, which Jerusalem was in Judah, where the temple was. And the Israelites were told very specifically, you don't do any sacrifices anywhere else except in Jerusalem. But Jeroboam now takes um, office in the, in, the, in the north. And the Lord said, if he followed the commands, he would, he would bless them up there in the north. But fear settled in, and he made this calf that people worshipped and calling it Jehovah and uh, they um, repeatedly 
since that time on, time on the calf, the golden calf drew Israel into sin. And so now they're at Bethel, and who comes out of Bethel? Use calling a prophet a bald head. Did you hear that, Ricardo? Hey, bald head. Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo, this is this verse was made for you. This is this is a, a, a use calling um this is used calling Elisha a bald head. And, and it, 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 that's right. <laughs> In verse um, uh, 23 of 2 Kings, Kings chapter 2. But again, it's important that you understand where this is. This is at Bethel. See, this is what false worship produces. It produces a generation of, of children who have no respect for God or his prophets or priests pastors, whatever. Uh, it, it, a lot of times today, you'll go somewhere and someone will say, uh, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. They, they, ba they basically don't even know what it is. I mean, and, and so here they, they are mocking this man, and then he turns around and, and uh, he says he puts a curse on them. Two female bears come out and maul two of 42 of them. It it's, 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 doesn't say whether they all died, I would think some of them did. It's not for sure. But to me, the simple explanation here is, though this is clearly an act of judgment, the whole ministry of Elisha and all the prophets is to bring Israel back to the Lord God. And when people, you know, they, they try to come up with different explanations for this, you know, the he, Hebrew word there, it's not necessarily little kid, it could be a young man and this kind of thing. I mean, that maybe that may be, be the truth. But the bottom line here is the apostasy of Israel, bowing down, worshiping, sacrificing at those golden calves would create far more killings, far more death, far more corruption than what happened to these 42 kids. This is, in addition to judgment, an act of mercy to try to bring Israel back. You need to listen to this man, Elisha. You guys going to continue uh, treating a prophet with contempt. Listen, you need to listen up to this man, Elisha. And so um, he... Uh, he turns around, obviously at the direction of the Lord, and puts a curse on them. And 42, the, the ewes are mauled, and so no doubt the, the word gets um, out about this, and, and, and there's a fear of God would come over the people. It would be short-lived because there's not going to be ever really revival um, in the north, but um, that's what happened there. It says, then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Remember, Mount Carmel is where Elijah, who had been his tutor, who has, had been his discipler, had called fire down from heaven um, to, to, uh, to eat up the sacrifices, and then the 450 prophets of Baal, who couldn't bring down the fire, were, were killed after that. And so this is Elisha's first steps, first action he takes um, after, first action he takes after um, taking over the mantle from Elijah. Chapter 3. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, 
became king over Israel. Now, remember from chapter 1, Ahaziah, another son of Ahab, fell through the window of the lattice and died. So here is his brother Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. And what was that sin? Again, it was basically leading all of Israel to worship those two golden calves. And so, in verse 2, he is given credit um, here for uh, putting away uh, the, uh, a sacred pillar that his father Ahab had made, a pillar to Baal. But it kind of reminds me of Saul. If you remember, Saul did religious things. He, he, he sent witches out. He banned witches um, from Israel and this type of thing. Of course, he went and visited one in secret. But um, he, he did uh, religious things on the outside. But on the inside, there was no life of God. I tell you, my, uh, my, uh, my Bible study this morning in 1 John 3, I just can't resist this. This is, this is the real life with God, which Jehoram, this, this guy, although he may have put away the pillar, he, he persisted in sin. 1 John 3, 6 says, whoever abides in Jesus does not sin. If you look at the Greek, does not righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God is manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Again, the Greek does not practice sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In other words, someone who has truly been born again cannot continue in the practice of sin because of the seed that is in him, says John. Verse 10, in this, the little children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So back in... Um, Second Kings, uh, chapter um, uh, chapter three. Here, there is there is an outward act of uh, repentance, but it there's no life of God in this man because he he basically he continues to practice sin, and so we all want to. The, the, actually, the whole world wants to to try to do something to convince themselves that they are good this is this is part of what I was explaining this to the evangelism um, the folks going out to evangelism on on Saturday night that you know you meet people in the street every, people usually think they're good because they have something in them that wants to believe that they're good it was by the way put there by God and so often so this is what Jehoram pretty much does here he 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 takes away this this pillar made to Baal which Ahab um, had made but he verse 3 he persists in unrighteousness first John 3 said 
This is proof that he is not born of God, or he's not a follower of God. Verse 4, now Misha, a king of Moab, Moab is directly to the east of Israel, right on the other side of the Jordan, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 uh, lambs and the wool of 100,000 lambs. Uh, the reason that he did that was not just because he was a nice guy, but because Omri, a previous king of Israel, had defeated the king of Moab and said, listen, if you don't want me to come in and destroy everything, you need to pay me tribute every year. And this is a lot. 100,000 lambs a year he sent up to Israel and the wool of 100,000 rams. Verse 5, but it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So he's going to take advantage of the fact that um, Ahab uh, had died and that his, his son is... Uh, there's weakness there. Ahaziah had only reigned for two years, and here's this new king. I'm just going to take advantage of this, and I'm going to stop this payment of 100,000 lambs a year. Verse 6, so King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. He was going to say, hey, I like getting, I, I like getting the, the wool of 100,000 lambs, uh, rams every year, uh, and it's worth it to me to go to war against Moab. Verse 7, then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. No, no, Jehoshaphat, why are you doing this again? You did it with Ahab, and look what happened. You almost got yourself killed. And you're going to do it again. And you were rebuked. He was rebuked by a prophet. But, but Jehoshaphat, although he was, a, he was an outstanding king in Judah, he had a weakness. He just, he, his heart was, was bigger um, than his, his, his reason and his logic. Uh, uh, Proverbs uh, uh, 28 verse 26 says, whoever trusts in his heart is a fool. I do like to um, remind myself often of that when my heart uh, starts giving way to really the voice of the Lord. But uh, what happened here was Jehoshaphat had made a big mistake. Among other things, he let his son be married to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Not a good idea. So he's like, well, you know, I know I almost got killed and I got rebuked by a prophet by going up and uh, helping Ahab out. But I mean, this is my, you know, this is my daughter-in-law's, um, this is my daughter-in-law's, what would it be? Brother. Brother? Brother. And so I need to... Uh, I need to help him out. It is also true that when he helped out Moab, I mean, when he helped out Ahab, he was going against Syria, which was much farther away. Moab was right, right next to Judah in the south, very, very close. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe that influenced him, but he never should have been, he, he shouldn't be doing this. Um, but uh, he does it anyway. 
Then he said, uh, which way shall we go up? So this is the, this is Jehoshaphat asking the king of Israel, how should they go attack Moab? And the king of, answered, said, uh, king of Israel said, by way of the wilderness of Edom. Now, uh, we don't have a map here. Is it, is it on? Hello? 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 Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. And, and, and so, uh, thank you for that. And so, uh, the Jehoshaphat asked the king of Israel, how should we t attack Moab? And the answer from king of Israel is, we need to go down right through your territory all the way around the south to the bottom of the Dead Sea and then go back up and attack Moab. In other words, they took a very, very, very indirect route. They went deep into the desert to attack from the south. I don't know if they're thinking this is a surprise attack. The scholars think that Moab was more, de their, their defenses were more up in the north. And so they, they decide to do it like this, do a major, major end around. Um, and then it says, um, so that verse nine, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they marched on the roundabout route, the roundabout route. Seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. Hmm, maybe they should have prayed before they went. So they got it. They took they took this roundabout way, went below the Dead Sea. Understand? I understand. It's like a desert down there, a wasteland, and they ran out of water. And the king of Israel said, "Alas." For the Lord has called three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Um, and so this is a classic example. Remember when it says king of Israel, that's the bad kings. That's the kings who were uh, worship, you know, worshipped other gods and were not obedient to God. But what happens when trouble comes? All of a sudden, you remember God again. You start pl uh, pleading to God. And, and, and he's really showing his backbone here. Uh, this is cowardice. He's like in the they're they're starving in the middle of the desert, and they're like, the Lord's going to kill us and deliver us into the hand of Moab. Verse eleven. But Jehoshaphat, he was really a man of God. He made mistakes, but here is a man of God. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord? by him. We've heard that quote before from Jehoshaphat when he was with Ahab and all kinds of false prophets had been um, prophesying victory uh, to him and Ahab. And Jehoshaphat says, uh, hey, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here? And what did Ahab say? Yeah, there's one, but I hate him because he always tells me bad things. Well, here he is again in a lot of trouble here now. And he's in the middle of the desert. None of the, the, there's three kings. Um, it's the uh, it's the it's the king of Edom, the king of um, Israel, and the king of Judah. And they're starving, and so are their animals, um, and they have no water. And so Jehoshaphat says, "Is there a prophet of the Lord here?" It's like, okay, Jehoshaphat, why now? Maybe you should have asked a prophet before you ever started. But um, so one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, "Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here." This is Elisha, who 
just took over from Elijah, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So Elisha, although Elisha was, although Elisha was a prophet to the north, Jehoshaphat, being a man of God, knew well about him. So the Israel, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So they sought out Elisha. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, Israel, what have I, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. And you talk, I mean, this guy, uh, he's fearless. He's telling the king, what do you, what do I have to do with you? you go, go to your false gods. Go to the false prophets. Don't, don't come to me. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver themselves into the hand of Moab, meaning the Lord is about to destroy us. And that's why we're coming to you now. So again, there's a, this guy has like outward religion. His heart is corrupt, but he's got outward religion. And verse 14 says, And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. And so Elisha recognizes that Jehoshaphat is a man of God. Uh, interesting here, he doesn't rebuke Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, what are you doing with this dude, guy? He doesn't say that. But verse 15 says, but now bring me a musician. When it happened, uh, then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So this is another reminder, by the way, and I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but music is spiritual. <laughs> And it's deeply spiritual, and it puts us in a deeply spiritual place. That's why, parents, you need to be careful what music is in your home. My advice, I would keep out anything but worship music. That's just my advice. Um, and I know there's a freedom there, but um, I just prom I told my kids, as soon as you're 18, you can listen to whatever you want, but now it's worship music because it does something to our soul, and Satan is very involved in secular music. Not all of it. Not a lot of it. There's a lot of secular music. I don't think Satan's involved, but... You know, it, it, it creeps in in so many ways. And this is just another example that it's clearly, clearly, clearly music stirs up the spiritual side of man. And we need to be very, very careful. Again, that's not a law. I'm not talking to you about a law. You guys do whatever you want between you and the Lord. It's just um, my advice to consider that really seriously, what music you put before your kids, not to mention your own ears. And Elisha said, thus, the, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Say what? <laughs> make this valley full of ditches. Keep in mind where they are. I remember when I was a kid, my, my family moved away from Massachusetts when I was nine. And I remember in high school, when I was a freshman in high school, or a sophomore, being in football in the middle of Florida, tackle football in the middle of the day, 
I don't know why they didn't have practices in the, you know, in the evening. And I got to tell you, that was brutal. This is more brutal. Digging ditches south of the Dead Sea. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water. So that you make, so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So they did it. They went out and did it. They dug ditches. Now you can imagine them getting this order. It's, you know, it's like Noah. Go, hey, Noah, go build an ark. Go build an ark, Noah. So Noah is building an ark for years and years and years. And such an act of faith on his part. Remember again the theme that we're getting into with Elijah. Elisha, faith involves doing what the Lord has commanded to do, and then he backs it up by moving with great power. And so, man, when you're digging ditches south of the Dead Sea, that is a serious act of faith there. Because like we're doing this. This is ridiculous. There's not going to be any rain. What is going on here? I remember, and this is just how faith works. I remember when, when the Lord was telling me to come back to, to Massachusetts for the purpose of, of starting up a church, and you know, this is in the mid-1990s. No such thing as the internet. The particular job that I did, it's very difficult. You were licensed. I was licensed down there. In Florida, I had no license in Massachusetts, and that particular job that I had, it was it's very, very difficult to cross jurisdictions, <laughs> um, to go to different parts of the country and, and just say, hey, yeah, hire me. And I just remember, you know, the Lord saying, send resumes up there. I didn't know anyone up here in Boston. And I have to tell you, the amount of faith it took just to start digging those ditches <laughs> And putting that resume together and figuring out the different places to apply to, it just it just took an enormous amount of faith for me, at least at the time. You know, there's a hyper-spiritual response that we have many times. Oh, you know, if the Lord wants me to move to Boston, I'm just going to sit here and, uh, and uh, someone's going to call me on the phone, just miraculously. But faith doesn't work like that most of the time. The Lord says, okay, you do this, and then I'll do this. And of course, the biggest, all we're thinking of, I'm going to do all this work and send up all those resumes and do all those work and look like a fool when I'm not hired. And that's what faith is. You've got to respond anyway. And of course I did, and, and I got a job, and, and, and they moved me up here. And lots of other things happened too, but um, it, it involves doing something. So they're digging these ditches, and then it says in 
Verse 20, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Notice, um, notice here. In verse 17, Elisha had told him, you're not even going to see rain. And this land is going to fill, be filled with water. It's like, what? Is that, it's so, so oftentimes, you know, you're, we're proceeding, and it's just going against all reason. And so uh, he, he goes, uh, uh, they offer, and it's su suddenly water comes up from the, the south. It's unclear how this happens. Um, suddenly, a gush of water just comes in um, from from the south. Actually, Edom was to the south. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, "This is the blood the kings have surely struck swords." Um, and have killed one another, now therefore Moab to the spoil. So they, 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 there was some kind of reflection. The water had come in, had filled up all the ditches. Um, it looked red. And it's like, oh, wow, there's like blood covering the land. Because remember, there's three kings, and, and the, the, the kingdoms had not necessarily had a history of getting along with each other. So the Moabites are like, ah, they, they, they attacked each other, and this is blood everywhere. And so they say, okay, Moab to the spoil, meaning let's go in and, and get, gather up all the uh, the, the, the valuables from the dead bodies. Verse 24, so when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. So they um, fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And that's just what Elisha said would happen. That the, the stones would be you know, would be, he had, he had told them, you're going to destroy the Moabites, and then you're going to basically ruin the land by, by, by the, you know, you're tearing the houses down and throwing the, the stones on, on the soil. And they stopped up the springs of water, cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Kir Harith intact. In However, the sli uh, slingers surrounded and attacked it. So there's the city, Kir Harath Seth. Apparently, the king of Moab was inside and trying to preserve himself. Verse 26, and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. Uh, but they could not, meaning, let's just make a break for it. And they failed. They were destroyed um, by the, uh, the, the, the three king, or the three armies. Verse 27, then he, meaning the king of Moab, took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place, and he offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. He burned him up. And there was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. And so now you get a picture of, you know, throughout the Old Testament, you know, again, critics of the Bible will go ad nauseum about the terrible things that God had Israel do against their enemies. 
but they leave out the important parts like this. This is what these people did. They offered their children in the fire. This is his eldest son, it says, who would have taken this. But this is what they did. It's not like a, a, an innocent people is being destroyed. They were an exceedingly wicked people. And so there you have it. God telling them to dig ditches and saying, I'm going to fill this place with water, and there's not even going to be any rain. And they did by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they, um, uh, they, they, uh, they do it, and then God comes in and works just in a powerful, powerful way. Chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditors coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So at the time when you got into great debt, the creditors would show up and, uh, if necessary, would take the children of the debtor. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather, just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So what does she say? Oh, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do it. No, the theme here with Elisha, and this is what we need to pay attention to. God calls us. God's going to wants to work in power in our life, but he first says, but first you go do A, you go do B, and you go do C, which make, may make no sense at all. It's like building an ark. Genesis, in, in the book of Genesis. So she goes out. It says, verse 5, she went out from him and shut the uh, door uh, with her and her sons who brought the vessels. Hmm. Wait a second. Verse 5. So she um, went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And, and it's, you know, notice here that um, Elisha says, um, go borrow vessels from everywhere from all your neighbors. So again, kind of just like Noah and his neighbors, looking like a fool, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And so oftentimes when you're acting by faith, your own family will say you look like a fool doing what you're doing, and, but, but it is important. You know, on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night now at 9.30, we're praying for just a location. Um, each week there's some issue at church that happens that uh, reminds us that uh, we need to look for a new location. And um, but I tell you, it, it takes faith just to gather the prayer meeting. 
It's like you're going to pray and pray and pray for months and months. You're going to look like a fool when God doesn't provide anything. But faith is doing what the Lord has called you to do and just believing that he that you've heard the, the Lord and that he's a good, gracious king of our lives and he's going to move one way or another. And so, and so often that is what he calls you to do. So all of the vessels of oil are, are uh, filled up. It says, then she came and told the man of God and he said, go, this is verse 7, sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. So Micah chapter 7, verse 7 says this, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And that's what she did. Her kids were about to be sold into slavery. And she looked to the God of her salvation. She went to Elisha and said, Listen, my husband was an upright man, but he died. And, and, and now I'm, I, I, I'm looking to you. And so the Bible does say that God will answer the prayers of the upright, and that's exactly what happened here. So important, so important in, in, in that time of need that we understand and we wait on the Lord for his salvation. Verse 8, now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. I'm going to do some rapid reading now. This is a story. We want to finish, we want to finish it up tonight. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him up there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shulamite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? So remember, we were in Mark chapter 9. Jesus said, listen, even giving a little cup of water to a servant of the Lord, you're going to have your reward. So this is more than a cup of water, right? What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? Interesting here that Elisha, really unlike Elijah, the king hated him, looked for him to kill him. Elisha moved among kings and generals at the time. And she answered, I dwell among my own people, meaning I'm okay. She's wealthy. I'm okay. Verse 14, so he said, well then, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, she, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, obviously, this had been something that had been tormenting her for a long time. 
And she's like, don't mess with me. You don't know how, what an emotional trigger this is for me. Don't, stop talking like this. And he went to her and he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her and the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his fathers, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He sat down, he, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God. So he went into the little room that she had made for Elisha, put him, put him on his bed, shut the door upon, um, upon him and went out. And then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. So she's an emotional distress. This shouldn't be um, an apologetic for lying. But sometimes it's okay to lie. She's in great distress here. She says, all is well. She just wants to go and do her business. Then, the saddle, then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So Elisha was on Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shulamite, the Shunamite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with a child? And she answered, it is well. So she doesn't want to mess with anyone except for, with Elisha. She doesn't want to waste any time. She has a dead son, and she's going, uh, she wants to see Elisha. Verse 27, now when she had come to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said to her, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. I was kind of touched by that, just showing the heart of Elisha. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? So she, this is called praying with importunity. Some of you read the book about a year ago, the Andrew Murray book, The Prayer Life. There was a section on praying with importunity. I mean, sometimes we need to go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm doing, I did this, you told me to do it. I did this, you told me to do it. I did this, you told me to do it. And now I'm in a disaster, Lord. What is going on, Lord? And, and, and just being honest with the Lord. Um, and that is, that is what's going on here. Why did you give me this son only for the um, son to be taken away? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child and the mother of the child said as the lord lives and as your soul lives i will not leave you familiar line remember that that's when elijah was trying to get away from elisha but elijah was not going to let go of him until he got the double portion of the spirit 
So now someone's using it on him. So he arose and followed her. Now, verse 31. Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff of the face um, staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying on the lying dead on his bed. And he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on, on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eye on his eyes, and a hand on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house. So he's walking back and forth no doubt, crying out to the Lord. And again, went up and stretched himself um, out on him. This is similar to the miracle that Elijah had done, I believe in 1 Kings 17. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. This is a heartwarming story. Uh, but I will say really the same thing again. Her son was dead, and this is certainly not a promise that if a relative dies, God is going to bring back that relative from the dead. I read it. There was a tragic story that happened two years ago of a well-known Christian whose son had died, or may, may have been the daughter, and all these people were, were um, very publicly asking God to bring the child back from the dead and a lot of publicity. And I, I don't know, you know, whether the whether they should have been doing that. I want to judge them. I think we need to be very careful before we go about things like that. I don't hear, think they were hearing from the Lord. The child never recovered. But what this really is, though, is, again, so important in prayer to be very, very, very focused. And just to... I just learned a lot about prayer in the last few years. Just to here, you have this woman, and it was almost like the Lord had told Ezekiel, "I'm going to give you a your forehead is going to be like forehead like flint." In, in other words, you're going to be so intensely preaching the word of God. So she had the same focus and determination to go and seek the Lord when she went to Elisha and she traveled to where he was and then got down and, and called out to him, grabbed his feet, and then prayed with importunity and for, for her son. And it's a, it's a good lesson on prayer. Again, I don't recommend praying to rise to the dead, particularly if it's a Christian. So now with the Lord after they they died. But um, it's a good lesson on prayer, but it's also a good lesson on, again, faith. Faith is always action, and she takes action, and she goes out and with focus and with determination. So I want, if we could have just a time.